Well, being invited to someone's home is a great honor. It's an awesome thing to be able to go. You're greeted at the door with a smile and affectionate words of welcome and uh, pleasant aromas from the kitchen. Your coat is kindly taken. Drinks and hors d'oeuvres are served in the living room. You move into the dining room and And the table is just wonderfully set. It's beautiful, it's warm, it's inviting. And the dinner table contains this uh, wonderful food that looks and smells delicious. After being seated, your gracious hosts um, read a a little bit of scripture and they offer a heartfelt prayer. And during the dinner, you, you just experience the host's warmth. They they engage you, they take an interest in you, and uh, the conversation is really engaging throughout dinner. Uh, they wait on you hand and foot. They, they give you a second helpings, coffee, tea, uh, refills, desserts, anything that you need, your hosts are getting you. They don't even allow you to help with the dishes when you ask to do so. And when you're served like that, that gives us a little taste of Jesus, it gives us a taste of Jesus. And, and then when you're the host and you get to invite people into your home and you get to serve them, uh, that's wonderful too. Just to be able to see people inside of your home uh, delighting in what you have done and how you serve them. And, and so when we do that as hosts, we also are tasting a little bit of Jesus as we serve. Now, we've all probably experienced joy from both sides of that table. Um, both sides are wonderful to be on. Both sides are memorable. Serving others is at the core of the diaconate or the deacon ministry. God gifts the church with deacons and cares for our physical needs through them. And what a blessing the deacons are in the church and in our lives. Last week, we looked at the qualifications of elders whose role is to teach and to exercise authority in the church. Their leadership is unique and their leadership is specific. Today, we're going to see how God uh, provides us with deacons who assist and serve the elders and us as the congregation in a unique and a specific way a different and distinct way from elders. To be a deacon is an excellent and high calling with qualifications and high expectations. I hope the Holy Spirit increases two things in your heart this morning. Number one, your understanding of how Jesus loves and cares for you through deacons. And two, your gratitude to Jesus for deacons. So here's the point I'd like you to walk away with. Jesus loves and cares for you through qualified and called deacons who selflessly serve you. That's what I want you to, to grab onto. When you realize this point, when it, when it hits home, it stirs in you deeper joy and deeper uh, thankfulness Because you, through the deacons, receive the love and the care that God has for you. So let's begin with understanding the term deacon. How is deacon used in the New Testament? Scripture doesn't give us a lot about the office of deacon. Uh, Because of this, several points of debate surface over the office of deacon. 
Uh, but in the debates, we cannot lose sight of how good deacons are and how they promote our well-being. We certainly don't want to lose sight of Paul's point here. A church with qualified and called deacons is an incredible force for good. An incredible force for good. The Greek word for deacon is diakonos. Diakonos. It appears only 29 times in the New Testament. Only a few times is diakonos. Uh, does it refer to the office of deacon? The majority of times, diakonos means servant or minister in general. Uh, Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the greatest among you shall be your diakonos or your servant. It's in a general way. He wasn't referring to a church office there, but rather a general servant who helps others. Diakonos was used of the servants at the wedding at Cana. Uh, in John 2, where Jesus turned the water into wine, in 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen, diakonos was actually used of demons who serve Satan. Uh, in Romans 13, a government authority is referred to as a diakonos. So the word deacon generally means someone who serves others in some capacity. Two other words are worth noting at this point. The verbs diakoneo, and you can hear the relation there, diakoneo and diakonia. Diakoneo means to serve, to provide humble care and service for others. Listen to how diakoneo is used in these verses. Matthew 8, 14, and 15. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. There it is. Luke 10, 38 through 40. This is a good one. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then, to help me. In Matthew 4:11, diakoneo is translated like this. Then the devil left him and behold angels came and were ministering to him. So you get the idea, but let me mention Mark 10:45 yet. Listen to how diakoneo is used here. It's wonderful. And you should be making some connections here. Listen to this. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Je Jesus served us in the ultimate sense. He gave his life on the cross so that by faith we could be forgiven and we could be reconciled to God. Jesus didn't hold the office of deacon. Oh, but how he, how he served us. How he served us. I think James Edwards uh, was right when he said, the reason why a servant is the most preeminent position in the kingdom of God is that the sole function of a servant is to give and giving is the essence of God. Think about that. Giving is the essence of God. The other verb is diakonia, which also means ministry or service. In Acts 20, verse 24, Paul said, If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus. 
Back in 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul said this, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service or his ministry. Again, not an office, but service. But when you get to 1 Timothy 3, diakonos refers to an office of the church. Now, how do we know that it's an office here and not in the other places? Well, Paul was talking about how people should behave in church. That's the whole, the whole uh, thing of this, of this letter. And in verses 1 through 7, Paul explained the office of overseer uh, and its qualifications. After explaining what an overseer must be, Paul added in verse 8, deacons likewise. Aha! We have something there. Like the office of, of overseer, deacon um, also appears to be an office with its own qualifications. That's Paul's idea. And verse 8, interestingly enough, doesn't have a verb. It doesn't have a verb. So the must be from verse 2, talking about elders, overseers, must be carried down into verse 8 to supply the verb so that it reads, deacons likewise must be, and then the list of qualifications. Paul was introducing an office, different and distinct from elders. Furthermore, consider Philippians 1.1. It says this, and you might remember this from when we went through this. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Right there you have it. Two offices distinguished in the church. Two distinct and different offices. So even though the Bible says little about the office of deacon, we know from the meaning of the word itself and other uses in Scripture that the office of deacon is all about serving other people. Serve, 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 serve. That's the idea. So let me ask a question. How do deacons differ from elders? Now this is very important. Listen closely. Both elders and deacons serve the church. But where elders minister through teaching, governance, and shepherding, deacons minister through mercy, benevolence, and stewardship. Deacons do not have authority in the church. And by authority, I'm referring to the governing or shepherding um, authority that God gives elders Alone, which we see in chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, Acts 20, Titus 1, Hebrews 13, and 1 Peter 5. Uh, the Bible says a lot about elders. Now, of course, deacons have authority in the sense that they make certain decisions, they carry out ministry, but always beneath the governing and the shepherding authority of a plurality of elders and always with the goal of assisting the elders and assisting the people. Now, this should be obvious when you consider what the word diakonos means. A deacon is a servant. That's central to their role. Now, are the deacons inferior or junior varsity to the elders? No, 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 no. Do not get that in your mind. No, if you're hearing it, no. But deacons do have a different job, a different role. 
God designed the diaconate to be a channel of his love and care for his church. But for deacons to be successful, as you read this passage, as you look at the scripture, they have to adhere. They have to uh, be a certain type of person. There's qualifications. So here are the kind of deacons Jesus wants to serve his church. A deacon must be all of these qualities, all of these qualities. And keep this in mind, perfection in these qualities is not required. If it wasn't required, again, churches would have no deacons. And and so obviously that's not what Paul is getting at here. Paul is advocating maturity in all of these things. These things should typify a deacon's life. In other words, it should be rare, it should be out of character for deacons to act inconsistently with the qualifications. So here we go. Number one, dignified. A deacon must be honorable, noble, worthy of respect. They must behave in a way that earns esteem from other people. Jesus is perfectly dignified. He he always acts in a way that corresponds to the glory and honor of God. Jesus wants deacons to be like him so that his perfect dignity is magnified in and through their imperfect but faithful dignity in all of their service. Number two, not double-tongued. A deacon must not be a hypocrite. When they give their word, they must sincerely do it. They must carry it through. People, people must be able to trust deacons. Well, Jesus is perfectly sincere. He is honest and true to his word. Hebrews 6.18, it's true of the Son of God. It's true of Jesus Christ. It is impossible for him to lie. Impossible. Jesus always speaks truth. Jesus never misleads. Jesus wants deacons to be just like him so that his perfect sincerity and perfect honesty is magnified in and through their imperfect but faithful sincerity and honesty in all of their service. Number three, not addicted to much wine. A deacon must not be a heavy drinker. Must not be a heavy drinker. Heavy drinking It slows the mind and it hinders in the service of others. The idea in verse 8 is this idea of addiction is to be devoted to something, to give yourself entirely to something. So a deacon's devotion must be entirely to Christ and not to wine. Those things don't mix. Addictions call into question the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. A deacon need not be a teetotaler, okay? But they must show prudence and they must show restraint. Jesus is perfectly devoted to the will of God. All of him is entirely addicted to obeying God. Jesus drank, but he always did so with perfect prudence, perfect restraint, perfect balance. Well, Jesus wants deacons to be just like him. So that his perfect freedom from addictions is magnified in and through their imperfect but faithful freedom from addictions in all of their service. Number four, not greedy for dishonest gain. Not greedy. A deacon must not be avaricious. Sometimes craving wealth can push people to corruption, fraudulence, and deceit. Think of Bernie Madoff, if you know any history there. Deacons must avoid corruption, fraudulence, and deceit entirely. Deacons must deal honestly 
and must work hard with uprightness, with integrity, with godliness. This, this makes sense for someone who's going to handle funds and distribute funds to people. You've got to have this. Well, Jesus is perfectly content and honest. He is never greedy, covetous, materialistic, tight-fisted, nor is he corrupt, ever, ever. Jesus wants deacons to be like him so that his perfect contentment and integrity is magnified in and through their imperfect but faithful contentment and honesty in all of their service. Number five, holding the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. A deacon must have sound doctrine uh, and live by clear moral standards. Unlike elders, and this is important to see in this passage, deacons do not need to be able to teach. That's, that's uh, not central to their role as deacon. However, a deacon must know Scripture. Mystery of the faith refers to the divine and secret truths of God that have been revealed by God. They're, they're now open in the gospel Uh, They were hidden, but now they are comprehended, and a deacon must be able to to hold to those truths with great confidence, with great care. And they must hold to sound doctrine with a clear conscience, being able to evaluate their heart, evaluate their mind, evaluate their, uh, uh, their affections, and make sure that it's in line with Scripture. So, of course, as you look at deacons, they're going to sin, just like elders do, just like we all do. But their conscience must be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and ready to confess, ready to repent, ready to walk in holiness. Jesus perfectly possesses and adheres to the truth of God. Folks, he is the truth of God. His doctrine never errs. His theology is never questionable. His conscience is eternally clear. Think think about this. This is just mind-blowing. Jesus never looks back on his life, on earth, and thinks, I, I'm not really sure if I got that one right. Or, or maybe I should have done that one a little differently. He never second-guesses himself. He was eternally consistent with the will and nature of God. Jesus wants deacons to be like him so that his perfect doctrine and perfect clear conscience is magnified in and through their imperfect but faithful doctrine and clear conscience in all of their service. Six, tested and proved blameless. Look at verse 10. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. A deacon's life needs to be evaluated, scrutinized, tested. And if their life proves them blameless, only then should they serve in the office of of deacon. They don't serve in the office in order to mature to be blameless. They must be blameless before they enter the office. Not perfect, but blameless. Well, Jesus is perfectly blameless. Think of Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. How did he do against that incredible and massive test? How did he do? He did awesome. He totally was perfect in everything. He proved entirely blameless. And and please make this connection. His blamelessness makes him an acceptable sacrifice 
to God in our place and qualifies him to be our savior, to serve us in that way, to save us. If he is not blameless, the cross is emptied of its power. We have no savior. But it is because he was blameless, he passed the test with flying covers, colors that we could then be forgiven by God because our Savior is a blameless and faithful Savior. He had to pass the test, and he did, and he proved himself blameless. Jesus wants deacons to be like him so that his perfect blamelessness is magnified in and through their imperfect but faithful blamelessness in all of their service. Number seven. The husband of one wife and a good manager of his children and household. Jump to verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. It's clear verse 12 is about male deacons. We can't spin this. In any way, like elders, deacons must be one woman men and godly managers of their children and households. Jesus is the perfect bridegroom who cherishes and loves his bride, the church. He is the perfect manager who tenderly cares for the household of God. He is always faithful, always true, always serves with his bride's best interests in mind. Jesus wants deacons to be like him so that his perfect love for and care of the household of God is magnified in and through their imperfect but faithful uh, managing of... I lost my place. Let's just admit it. Where on earth am I? This rarely happens, but sometimes it does. Uh, loving and caring service of the household of God. So, so deacons are, are serving in the household of God, and that reflects the perfection. Now, at this point, folks, if you're listening closely and you're reading verse 12, a question perhaps is burning in your mind at this point. Does anything stick out at you with verse 12? That we might need to deal with. Now you might be thinking right now. Wait a second. Does this mean that women cannot be elders? Come on. Raise your hand. Who was tracking with that? One person. The rest of you are like. No idea what you're saying. You lost me an hour ago. All right. So let me share my heart with you now that I've introduced a question that you clearly weren't thinking about. Um, Just make things complicated for myself. And explaining the, the passages. Before this I had never really studied this passage deeply. And I knew it was coming. And I knew what our church had with women deacons. Um, and I was scared about studying this text deeply to find out what it, what it actually says. I just admit that to you. I was, I was scared about that. I was scared to preach this. And I know that preaching God's word faithfully will lead me, force me sometimes to say things that offend people. If I'm going to be faithful to the text, I will offend you sometimes because that's what the Bible does. That's what Jesus did. Look at his ministry. And that's difficult for me to chew on sometimes to realize that, that I, I am the bearer sometimes of news that people will perceive as bad. It's beautiful, but people might perceive something as bad. And so that, that puts me uh, in a little bit of an internal conflict sometimes. But hear me clearly. I'd rather please God and offend people. Uh, which is difficult, then compromise God's word and offend God in order to please people, which I can't do anyway. So I might as well just aim at pleasing God and be done with it. 
so my goal is to accurately interpret this text and to show you the beauty of it. Whatever it says, because whatever the Bible says is beautiful, we must receive it with by faith and say, that's precious. Hard to understand, yes, but precious. So please pay attention here. I need you to lean in with your minds Test what I'm saying. This is not easy sailing. This is not easy exegesis. This is not easy for pastors. Don't take my word for it. Don't swallow the little pill, but follow the Spirit and exercise your mind to understand what God actually means in this passage. That's what your primary concern should be. Should women be deacons? Oh, yes, we're going to ask that question and hopefully answer it. Now, that's a very controversial question among Reformed, conservative and Reformed Christians. But it's not the primary point of the passage, so I need to address it, and yet we can't lose sight of what Paul is actually saying here about deacons. The first two Greek words of verse 11, see if I can pronounce these right, gunekos hosautos. Now, the first word, gune, is most often translated in one of two ways, either woman or wife. There's no Greek pronoun in verse 11, so translators have inserted the word there. So should verse 11 read, women likewise must be, or wives likewise must be? When gune is used in 1 Timothy, it most often refers to woman, a woman. Generally, and every time that it refers to wife except verse 11, it is accompanied by the word husband. Now, that tells us something. Likely, Paul meant women in verse 11. However, before you draw that conclusion too firmly, right before and right after verse 11, the closest places where gune uh, is used means wife. So maybe wives is, a better, is better suited to the text So you can see, this is tricky to know how to interpret the Bible. Now assume for a moment that Paul meant wives likewise must be. He would would have been referring to deacons' wives. Hence the ESV inserts their wives. But that word there is not in there. Their wives. Now this may suggest that only men should be deacons and their wives must be a certain way. Now, many good conservative Bible scholars make that conclusion exactly. It is a reasonable interpretation based on the text. We have to be open to that interpretation. And there are other arguments outside of 1 Timothy 3 that support that interpretation. So you have to keep that in mind as you study the scripture. However, I would like to suggest that there is another interpretation. That brings us to a different conclusion. Now, this passage is tricky, no doubt. So follow my logic. You've got to lean in on this. I'm not sure I know what Paul is trying to say because it's, it's very tricky language. But I think this interpretation that I'm about ready to give you, though not conclusive, though it does not answer all the questions, it is very compelling, very compelling. So listen closely. Number one, the word likewise is critical. In chapter 3, verse 1, Paul introduced the office of overseer. He explained what they must be. And then in verse 8, said deacons likewise must be. So, like elders, deacons must meet certain qualifications 
for the clear office that, that Paul is, is bringing out. In verse 11, Paul used likewise again. Like elders and deacons, these women seem to have held some office as well, plus they had qualifications that would make them suitable to that office. So whether it's women or wives, it seems they needed to meet certain qualifications for some function or some office because it appears they were to do diaconal work. That seems to be implied. Number two. It would have been natural for Paul to use a pronoun like there, linking the term wives directly to the deacons, but he didn't use that term. It's just not there. So, to me, women seems more fitting, considering how many times it was used in the book and how it was interpreted, and then how it's used here without there. Three, it's very odd that Paul would give qualifications for deacons' wives and not elders' wives considering elders teach and exercise authority in the church, a role with more qualifications and a role with greater responsibility. And if the reason Paul didn't mention elders' wives is because they didn't help with their husband's ministry in the teaching and the exercising authority, but deacons, their wives do help in their ministry, well, there you have women helping out in the role of diaconal work. So depending on how you go here, it's still implying that these women that Paul mentioned, whether women or wives, are doing the diaconal work, some form of it. Four, the word deaconess uh, didn't exist when Paul wrote this. So if Paul wanted to distinguish female deacons from male deacons, the term women would be the likely choice that he would turn to to show differentiation. Number five, Romans 16.1, it's simple, I'll read it for you, but this is a key passage that sheds light on this issue. But, of course, it creates more controversy, all right? So people argue about this text too, but let me, let me take you to this one. Paul said this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, diakonos, or deacon, of the church at Sancria. All right, so it is quite possible that Paul meant Phoebe held the office of deacon. In fact, John Calvin said this about Phoebe, quote, he first commends to them Phoebe to whom he gave this epistle to be brought to them, and in the first place, he commends her on account of her office, for she performed a most honorable and a most holy function in the church, end of quote. Now, see if you can grab this. By saying a servant of the church at Sancria, instead of a more general way of saying a servant of the Lord Jesus, okay, seems to suggest that Paul was talking about an office, not a more general, hey, you're a servant of the Lord, which is how people take it when they translate it, servant. When you go deacon, it's bringing it in, and by mentioning what church she was a deacon in, it seems like in that text we should go with deacon instead of servant. Now, this is what Dr. Robert B. Strimple argued in the Minority Report on Women in Office of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, a very, very conservative denomination, very conservative. 
Um, His arguments are worth reading. Dr. Strimple is a conservative scholar, the president emeritus and professor emeritus of systematic theology at Westminster Theological Seminary in California. Dr. Strimple argued that the grammar of Romans 16.1, namely, and I know this is tough, but I got to go there. So if you're like, grammar, what in the world? Just stick with me as much as you can. All right. Namely, the participial phrase, being also a, which you won't see in the ESV because they didn't translate that, but it's there in the Greek. Being also a, okay, that little part, um, is used in other places in Scripture in connection with an office that someone serves in, if you're, if you're tracking with me. So we can see the, the, the parallel here in the grammar. And, and Dr. Strimple cites John eleven forty nine, 49, where Caiaphas is high priest. Acts 18, 12, where Gallio was proconsul. Uh, and Acts 24, 10, where Felix was to judge, uh, was, was a judge to the nations. So, Romans 16, 1 is the same grammar as these other places. So it could read exactly like this. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, being also a deacon of the church at Sancria. That has a very different ring to it. That sounds more like an office. That sounds more like this woman served in the official office of a deacon. So in, in other words, she is their sister in Christ, but she is also serving the church as a deacon. And even if the office of deacon was not well established by the time Paul wrote Romans 16.1. It still suggests that Phoebe had a very important ministry in the church to serve those in that local church. Number six, some scholars apply 1 Timothy 2.12, which we handled two weeks ago, I believe, or whenever it was, to the diaconate. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. And they apply that to the diaconate. However, that is to misunderstand the core function of what the diaconate is and what a deacon does. A deacon does not teach or exercise authority in a local church. Teaching and exercising authority is central to the office of elder, not the office of deacon. Deacons are not overseers. That's not their function. Now, women should not be, as we established last week, elders, as chapter 2 and verse 12 reveals, but Paul never uh, applies the same restriction uh, to the office or function of deacon. Dr. Strimple explained why having women deacons does not violate 1 Timothy 2.12 and other submission texts. This is what he says. The deacon is not a ruling office. That priority is reserved for the elders. A deacon is a servanthood office, a ministry of mercy and benevolence. The elders are responsible for the oversight and rule of the total life of the congregation, including the work of the deacons. He's exactly right. Number six, in terms of the structure of 1 Timothy 3, 18 through 13, you have to look. Do we have it up there? Not 18 through 13, 8 through 13. Are we able to, all right, if you look at this structure, could it be that he was speaking of deacons in verses 8 through 10, and then in verse 11, he zeroes in on women deacons, in verse 12, he zeroes in on uh, male deacons, husband, and then in verse 13, he brings it all together again to show that all deacons should be this type of thing. I 
I think that's pretty convin- a pretty convincing structure of how Paul would have laid out this argument. It's not conclusive, all right, but it's conceivable. Now, I haven't mentioned Acts 6, uh, 1 through 7, a text that many scholars see as the start of the diaconate. Seven men were chosen to wait tables so that the 12, the apostles, could pray and minister God's word. So many scholars turn to Acts 6 to argue for only male deacons because in Acts 6, it was seven men that were chosen. And I think Acts 6 is at least, it could be more, I'm open to that, but is at least a unique role that preceded and perhaps eventually became the diaconate. But there are some things about that role in Acts 6 and who, what those men did following that that kind of muddy the water a little bit. And so I think we need to be careful with the handling of that. We also need to keep in mind that diakonos, the word for deacon, does not appear in Acts 6, nor does it appear in the entire book of Acts. So, so as we approach this as an ongoing office, what did it look like? We need to be cautious how far we push Acts 6 in connection to the text that we're looking at now. Just need to be cautious about it. So wrap it up in case some of you are lost. I think there are good exegetical arguments for why women should be deacons. The main reason that I see and why it's totally safe with 1 Timothy 2.12 is this. The role of a deacon is one of servanthood, service, serving others, and meeting physical needs in the church, not teaching, not exercising authority, not exercising oversight, not shepherding, Therefore, a woman deacon can entirely obey 1 Timothy 2.12 and other submission texts that we see in Scripture. Now, Dr. Strimple that I referenced here, his exegesis and his rationale on this is sound. It's convincing. The, the, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church didn't accept his thing, so they do not have women deacons. His was the minority report. All right, but he gives a great case, and if you'd like to read it, I made four copies available in the back on the table that you can pick up because I'm like, nobody's going to really, but this is good, all right? So if you're like, yes, I really want to know, I have an inquiring mind, there is a copy for the few of you who might. If we run out, great, I'd love to make you more copies. Now, I recognize this morning that I totally forgot uh, and a part of this text to exposit it. So I got to look in the text here and I want to bring up that if this is women deacons, as verse 11 says, then they also have qualifications. And it reads like this. Their wives likewise must be, their wives, there it goes, women likewise must be dignified. Now that's interesting because if you look back in verse eight, what does it say of deacons? Dignified. So they're paralleling here, okay? Dignified, not slanderers. They can't go around slandering people, but sober-minded, so they've got clear thoughts, clear thinking. That kind of implies, too, they're not a drunk either. They've got a clear mind, and they're faithful in all things. These, these women must be faithful in everything. And so that's part two of the qualifications of what a deacon must be. So Paul then in, encourages the deacons. And he encourages really the entire church in verse 13. He showed them the gain of deacons, the glorious reward of faithful deacons. Serving as a deacon is a glorious 
And this is whether you agree with what I've just explained or whether you think that women should not be deacons. Regardless of your view, all right, being a deacon is a glorious and worthy and God-glorifying calling. It requires unique and specific gifts. Though deacons operate under the authority and oversight of the elders, they're not second-rate. They're not inferior. They're not insignificant. Every deacon should be encouraged when reading verse 13. Verse 13 should be precious to you, deacons. If a deacon serves well, and they must serve well in order to get this gain, they obtain the glorious reward of a good standing for themselves and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. They serve well unto honor and respect. They serve well unto increased assurance in the gospel. They serve well unto sureness in their faith in Christ. Dr. George Knight notes this, thus the encouragement given to deacons who serve faithfully is progress and confidence or boldness in the sphere of faith in Christ in which they already stand. You stand in the gospel in confidence of Christ, deacons. You belong to him. You are his. This is a glorious truth. And as you serve and as you exercise the gifts that he has given you, Oh, your confidence is being built up. Your boldness in the gospel is being built up. The honor and blessing of the deacons is often misunderstood. It's underestimated by many people in the church. Dr. Philip Ryken said this, deacons are not elders in training. The diaconate is a separate office having its own dignity and requiring its own gifts. Some deacons may well become elders as they mature in the faith, but some of the best deacons should remain deacons for life because that is what they are called and gifted to do. Praise God. When a deacon uses their gifts to love and serve the church, it displays the loving and caring heart of God for his people. And it strengthens the church. It strengthens us. God sent his only son to serve us, to be for us the sacrifice that accomplished our salvation. When when a deacon selflessly serves, they show us something about the heart of God, giving, 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 giving. Now, why is this important? Folks, because Jesus loves and cares for you through qualified and called deacons who selflessly serve you. They're here to serve you. And I want you to think about that. Some people, they complain that the church never helped them. No one ever cared for I just talked to a woman at the farm show this week. Her own church, according to her, don't know the whole story, cut, just didn't come to her help in time of need. And you hear that, it's... Man, let it not be our church. May we rush to people. to heal. But some people, the church never helped me. They, they never were there for me. They never reached out for me. They didn't meet my needs. And sometimes churches don't have any clue what the needs are. Because so many times people just, I'm not sharing that. I'm, I'm keeping it in here. And they bear the weight of that burden. So 
There are lots of reasons out there, but for whatever reason, many people end up bearing the burden alone, and that is, it weakens them considerably. This is not the way to live. There are people who care for you and are ready to respond. But not only has God sent his son to serve us through his life, death, and resurrection so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life and and eternal comfort with God, but, but God has also given us servants in the church who devote themselves to meeting our needs. John Piper said this, here's a vocation that will bring you more satisfaction than if you, become a mil- if you became a millionaire 10 times over. Develop the extraordinary skill for detecting the burdens of others and devote yourself daily to making them lighter. Now I want you to imagine it. God gives you an army of servants who want to find out exactly what your needs are and come into your life and minister to you, giving you and showing you God's love and God's care. Imagine what that would be like for us. Man, what a blessing that that you know people are devoted to finding out your needs and meeting them, making your burden lighter. So as you nominate deacons, keep all of this in the forefront of your mind. This is God's providence. I did not plan the timing of this. Okay, so elders, we're nominating. Deacons, we're nominating. God put this before you right before we're going into that. So think about this stuff. Keep it in the forefront of your mind and nominate the godly and qualified people that you see already sacrificing for others, already serving others. Brothers and sisters, we must express our needs to the deacons. And, and allow them to serve us. We must trust them. We must honor them by letting our need be known so that they can have the joy of ministering to us and, and we can have the joy of them ministering to us and serving us. It's a great privilege for them. And imagine if nobody ever communicated any needs. You are not a bother to the deacons. I, as the pastor, am not a bother to the deacons if I say, I need help with something. I need you to help me with this. Can you? We're not a bother. This church is about caring for one another and built into God's structure for the church are people that can care for you. When you express a need to the deacons and they can meet your need, you are receiving God's love and care through them. And that should increase your joy in God. He's caring for you. He's caring for you. Deacons help us experience more joy in God. My point is simple. Please don't forget it. Jesus loves and cares for you through qualified and called deacons who selflessly serve you. Thank you, God, for deacons. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the deacons of our church. I thank you that they are here to serve the elders, to serve us, the the congregation. God, how gracious and merciful you have been to us to give us deacons. You knew it all along how precious deacons would be before the beginning of the world. And so you plan redemptive history to lead up to deacons in the New Testament church so that they would serve and reflect something about your heart, giving. That is so precious, God. Thank you so much for deacons. And I pray that our congregation would get more mature in letting our needs known to the deacons and that they would respond as they are willing and ready to do to the needs that we have, even the needs of the community, God. So we, we love you. Thank you for deacons. And I pray that our church can respect them, give them honor, 
and, and benefit from their kind and loving Christ-like service. All for your glory alone, we pray. Amen.